Good morning, Mission View. You got me again this week. Don't anybody leave. Everybody stay put. Has anybody been watching the news lately? Does it seem to you like the world is getting crazier and more dangerous and more threatening every single day? You know, you look at the international scene and we've got China, we've got Russia, we have Iran and North Korea threatening and pushing the United States on every front. On the domestic front, our politicians are so busy bickering with each other over silly nonsense that I don't think they could run a Boy Scout troop. We have, we have climate change that's happening and even the best scientists can't tell us where this is going. Does it mean nothing? Does it mean we will have a drought and we won't be able to eat in 50 years? We don't know what's going on, but we do know that technology is changing at the speed of light. Things are moving. I get an update on my phone about 24 times a day. I don't know how to use my phone by six o'clock every day because technology is updated and I realize that some guy in his basement in Yugoslavia could clean up my bank account anytime. So technology is a wonderful and yet a terrible thing at the same time. We have globalization taking place. So jobs that used to be good paying jobs in the US are now overseas someplace. And what job that used to be done by 10 people is now done by three people. Seven people got right-sized out of their job. And the three people that are left are still doing the job of 10 people. So they're working harder than they've ever worked. They're under a huge amount of stress. And this is the world of change that we're living with every day. And, and I feel like we are living in an unprecedented time. I feel that way. And it feels very chaotic and unnerving to me and even a little frightening. Do you feel that way sometimes when you look at what's going on? And if you do, you're in good company because a lot of people feel that way. It, there seems to be a whirlwind of change that's going on around us. And it's, it's confusing and really unnerving in a lot of ways because we can't predict what's coming next. In the midst of this chaos, we're just trying to live our lives. So we're trying to just... First of all, and a first priority, just to live well as individuals. I mean, call it success if you'd like, but we don't want to be crazy, but we'd like to have a family that we love. We'd like to have a job and a house and be able to take care of the people that are closest to us that we care about. So we'd like to just be able to live well, but we also know that it's central to God's purpose in our life that we live according to his word. It's also central to his purpose that we are people of influence. So God has given us a message and he wants us to live in a way that we are able to influence, have credibility with people, and give them that message so that they can apply God's word to their life. And then we also know that, that God wants us to live a life of significance. He wants us to make a difference. He wants us to make a dent in this world someplace for his kingdom's sake. So with all of that hanging over our head, I find that to be harder to do today than it has been at any time in my life because there's this whirlwind of busyness and distraction and chaos going on all around us in the world today. And so as Christ followers, we're trying to just navigate our way through this. And that's the bad news. That's all the bad news I'm giving you today. The good news is, as we've been studying for the last several weeks, God has given us a whole series of gifts to give his people a leg up in this world to be able to navigate through these troubled times and difficult waters. We start with having the gift of salvation. So we have salvation by grace through faith. We know God himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And we have the ability to walk in newness of life, to have a new life. We have the, the gift of God's word. So the, the word of God's been given to us so that the man and woman of God what might be mature and perfectly thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So we have the handbook, the owner's manual for life, we get to carry it with us. Then we have the gift of the spirit of God. 
And we know that if we ask God for his spirit to control us, that the spirit of God will establish our thoughts and he'll guide our steps. So we have the word of God, we have the spirit of God, and then we've been talking about the gift of the people of God. And this is where Pastor Steve has had us for the last several weeks. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, the title being a, being a good steward of our gifts. And Pastor Steve reminded us that we are, as believers, a part of the body of Christ. We're a member. We have a role to play in a body that is much bigger and much more powerful than we ever thought we would be. We're not alone in this world. We have the gift of the body of Christ. So we're not alone in the midst of all this chaos that's going on. And so, and then in verses uh, six through eight last week, we also learned that we have been given the gift of supernatural abilities. We call them spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts are gifts that God has given us so that every single one of us could be extraordinary at something. Nobody's God's gift to everything, but we're all God's gift to the world for something. And when we bind ourselves together as a body, we can do something that's unbelievable if we will just get on board and get moving. So we've been talking about spiritual gifts and what they are. So with this as a backdrop, we're living in a world that's made more chaotic than it's ever been, but God's given us a leg up. He's given us this whole laundry list of blessings. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 21, and we're going to get our marching orders from the Apostle Paul. So if you're like me and you're just a nuts and bolts kind of person, you got to keep it simple with me. I'm not good with concepts. Just tell me what you want me to do. Well, we got a long list of things today that God, the Apostle Paul is just going to tell us what to do. But we need to understand that God is not surprised by the fact that this world is chaotic and in troubling. God knew that as long as human beings walk this planet and the sickness that they have called sin is present, bad things are going to be up around us and chaos and trouble is going to be around us at all times. But we have to be reminded that God loves this world and he loves the people of this world and he has a plan. The plan is I'm going to call people out of this chaos, out of this world, and I'm going to call them unto myself. That's his people. That's us. It's the church. I'm going to give gifts to those people and I'm going to bless those people. Then I'm going to send those people out to be a blessing to the world. That's God's plan. And we're a part of that plan. And we're going to look at some very practical things that God has given us to do something to do as we move forward, as we get our marching orders. So let's get started looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. You'd see that I gave you a study sheet, as you know I always will. So you're going to see, I hope you fill that out, because I want you to see a trend in these, in these things that we're talking about today. So let's start. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those that persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lonely. Do not be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a long list. We're not going to cover those in depth, but I'm going to touch on every single one of them as we go through. But this starts with 
the overarching theme of this passage, which is let love be genuine. So it begs the question, what is genuine love? Well, first of all, genuine love is a gift from God, and it's the greatest of all gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a definition of what love is. It, tells, it talks about spiritual gifts. It also talks about the most important, the most practical, the most powerful gift any of us could have is love. And that love is not natural, taint natural, it's supernatural. It takes its cues from God's love in Christ. Look at this, and look at the page that I gave you, the handout. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not, is not, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, does that sound like the kind of love we see on TV nowadays? No, it does not. It's not natural. It's not common. It is uncommon. It's supernatural. It is not natural to love your enemy. It's not natural to be patient with your baby who wakes you up at two in the morning screaming bloody murder and you can't, can't soothe the baby. It's not natural to be patient. It's not natural to be kind to your rebellious teenager who doesn't know what they want. They don't know why they want it, but they're going to be belligerent about telling you all about it. It's not natural to be kind to people in that, in that form. So we, we, we start to see that love, we know that love is an emotion, but we also know that here that, that love is a decision and it is a commitment. The decision is to live according to God's principles for our behavior, regardless of how it feels and regardless of what everybody else is doing around us. So love is a decision. It is a commitment. And it's a commitment to live according to God's plan and that we will see that love is always results in action, genuine love. Genuine love always results in action and it's intentional. Write that word down, would you please? Intentional. We're going to talk about that over and over again. Hope is not a plan, guys. We have to have an intentional approach to what we're trying to do. Putting your love into action, I will say this, is the most effective thing you could possibly do on this planet in order to be a person who can live, live well, to live a life uh, where you are influential, and to live a life of significance. If you want to open the door to lives of people, living out loves in a practical way is the best way to do it. Because we're living in a world where genuine love is virtually absent. And we are living in a world that is chaotic. It's frightening, not just to you, to all the people around you. And, and people are starving for somebody that will just care about them, somebody that will love them, somebody that will care for them and be there for them when they need help. They're starving for that. And God gives us that genuine gift in our heart through the Holy Spirit of God. So it, it will be our ability to exercise, genuine love will give us the ability to exercise our spiritual gifts effectively. Having a spiritual gift doesn't help you. I have the gift of administrations. I can be really obnoxious and really ineffective if I don't execute my gift with love. So this is what this, this passage is all about. We wanna see what through genuine love, the hearts of people open toward God instead of guarding themselves. Because in a dangerous world, you know what people do? They guard themselves. They don't let themselves out there. They wanna protect themselves from being hurt. We have to get them to open themselves to God and God's word. Genuine love is in this passage, is, it's the overarching principle. It's the overarching gift that motivates and empowers the use of our spiritual gifts. And it motivates and empowers every one of the actions that's in this passage. 
So I spent a lot of time on let love be genuine, but it is a critical part of every other part of what we've been talking about for weeks now. So let's look at four things, four character qualities of a person of God, a spirit-filled person, and how they live out genuine love. It starts with abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Folks, we have to live in a way that is blameless and above reproach in this world. You remember in, in Romans chapter 12 when Paul said, I beg of you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I like that paraphrase, it's just your reasonable service. Living a life that is holy and acceptable unto God is just table stakes. It's the beginning of what we need to do. Then he goes on in verse 2 to say, be not conformed to this world. Guys, we, we are children of the light. Children of the light should never walk in darkness. We should never walk in the dusk. We should never walk in the gray area. We live in a world full of people who flourish in the gray area. They're constantly flirting with doing the wrong thing and just one step shy of that. My accountant is always saying, you know, we could do it this way because it's not illegal. It's not completely legal, but it's not illegal. I think we could get away with it. No, that's the gray area. God's people want to live in a way that is blameless and above reproach. And I have to ask myself, how, how do you do that when everybody around you, the standards all around you are so gray and so fluid and they're changing all the time? We have to start by praying every day and asking God, saying, oh Lord, help me to see the world the way you see it. Help me to love what you love and help me to hate what you hate. We're to cling to what is good and abhor, hate what is evil hate what is evil. Lord, help me to love what you love and hate what you hate. This is what it says in, in verse 2 of, of Romans 12. Then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our brain has got to be washed because we live in a world full of trash. So we're going to ask God to help us to do that. But if you are that person who never walks in the gray, you only walk in the light, you know what you become? You become really extraordinary. People look at you and say, I, that guy, I, can, I could trust him with my wallet. I could trust him with my wife. That guy will never do the wrong thing. And you become somebody that's valuable to the people around you because you can be trusted. The next thing is, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. And I just say this, live with joy. When we live with purpose and we live with passion, zeal, we inspire people. We motivate people. People want to be near somebody that is zealous about what they're trying to do. They believe in what they're doing. And why are we zealous? We serve the Lord Christ. We're not working for General Motors or, 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 or Fisher Foods. We're working for the Lord Jesus Christ every day. So we have hope and we, we serve the Lord so we can be zealous about everything that we do. And in, you know, the, and in a world where everything's crazy and everybody's sort of depressed, how can you be a person of joy? You've got to start every day by praying, oh God, help me to see the world the way you do. Prepare me mentally, spiritually. Help me to get my mind in the right place before I even enter this day. When you walk in the door at work, at school, wherever you're going, you need to be a person that is a person of joy. And I'm going to ask you to do this. Look for the beauty in people. Finding people's flaws and finding their weaknesses is super easy because they're in your face all the time. Every person, no matter how diabolical they are, there's something beautiful about them. If we're the person that is looking for the beauty in people, when we see the beauty, we call it out. We talk to them about that, and we, we encourage them in the things that they're good at and the things that's beautiful about them. You know, in, in Proverbs 10, 11, it says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. We should be life-giving people. When we walk in a room, 
When we walk in anywhere we go, we ought to be a life-giving person where we go. There ought to be joy in what we do. The result is that people are just drawn to you. You become influential because you're just who you are. And they just love that, and they're drawn to somebody that's positive and is a life-giving person. God's people have a character quality that they are patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. This is so important. Calm during the storms of life. Calm and strong during the storms of life. And I hate to break it to you, but life is really messy. It's super messy. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. If something bad hasn't happened to you, it's coming. If it's already came and you're in a time of wonderfulness, catch your breath because it's coming again. We live in a world full of bad things that are happening. And when bad things happen, you know what? People are watching you under a microscope. They're watching everything you say and everything you do. Your light will shine brightest when you're personally in the midst of the storm. Common passage in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, but a little bit different translation. I love this. It says, Consider it sheer joy, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Listen, for good or bad, when we're under pressure, our faith life shows its true colors. It's forced into the open. When it's forced into the open, people are watching us and they're listening to what we say. And we need to be the people. God's people should be the ones that run toward the mess in life. We run toward it. We don't run away from it. We're the heavyweights. We're the people you can count on. God's people should be running toward the mess in life. And when everything's terrible and everybody else is falling apart, how are you patient in tribulation? Because we trust God. Every time in my life when something was bad, and you know how when it's bad, like when it rains, it pours, like things happen in threes. When I'm praying, I'm praying, oh God, help me to understand this. This same question comes back to me over and over again. God says, Pat, do you believe I am who I said I was the day you got saved? You told me you thought I was the creator and sustainer of the universe, the beginning and the ending of all wisdom, the beginning and the ending of all power, and you gave your life to me the day you got saved. Do you still believe I am who I say I am? Sometimes I have to think about that, but then I say, yeah, Lord, I do believe you are who you say you are. Then he asks one other question, do you trust me? Do you trust me? That's because the answer to that is how we are either patient or impatient in tribulation. If we trust him, now we can put our feet back on granite and we can start moving forward again with confidence knowing that God is there no matter how bad this is. We have the answers and then you're going to be constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer because this is, your, this is your connection. This is how you get perspective. It's how you get instruction. It's how you get encouragement. You've got to be constant in prayer when you're in the middle of a storm. You know, and, you, you know, and, and what is our example? Our, our example, Steve Marshall is a great example of what's happening. He's in the middle of a storm on top of a storm on top of a storm. And what do we get from him? Continual encouragement, direction, strength. He's living by faith. He's walking by faith. And I can tell you because Steve has ministered to my employees at Progressive Foam in small group meetings that we've had. When he had cancer, our people wanted to interview him. They wanted to do a video interview of him to ask him questions about how do you feel? What do you think? How do you look at this? How do you look at that? So we, we videotaped him and we, we uploaded it to YouTube and we put it on our, our internal channel. That video amongst my 150 employees, just factory workers, has had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of views. As every one of my employees have watched it, go home, have their wife watch it, have their kids watch it. I've had people say, can I take this home with me? You know why? He's in the middle of a storm 
And if they're not in the middle of a storm, now they're going to be in the middle of a storm. And they want to know what does he think and what does he say. They're hanging on his every word. Patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. And then the last quality is don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. If you want to kill your influence in life, there's a simple way to do it. Just be arrogant. Just If you're arrogant, then you're done. You're, it'll kill your, your influence in life dead on sight. You know, James 4, 6, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you know people are like that too? If you're arrogant and haughty, if somebody's like that, they're just all full of themselves, isn't there something in you that just wants to put them in their place and show them that they're not all that in a bag of chips? And when somebody is humble before you, isn't there something that just makes you want to help them? We're that way. So you can never be haughty, never wise in your own sight. The action here, and I'm going to give you something practical you do. This sounds counterintuitive, but this is super simple. Wherever you go, you should be the very first person to tell people everything that you do wrong. Every time you make a mistake, every time, every time you're not sure what to do, every time you, we know what we're good at, and we know what we're not good at. Guess what? Everybody else does too. So when you tell them what you're bad at, it's not like they're gonna, this is going to be a revelation. They've never heard of this before. They're just going to sort of smile and nod. It's just good for them to hear you say it instead of them saying it behind your back. Don't kid yourself. They all know what your problems are. Admit it and then say this. You know, in light of the fact I'm, I'm the eternal optimist, I've never met anything that can't be done. I'm wrong easily half the time, but 100% of the time I'm sure it's going to be good. I ask people, I have some very big realists that work with me every day. I said, what I need your help is when I'm heading toward a brick wall at 150 miles an hour, would you please get in my way and stop me? I can't trust myself to make that decision. I need your help to help me make that decision. I don't trust myself in this, in this area. Will you help me? When they help you and they're right, you know what you should do? Shout it from the rooftops. Life is not about you. Get over yourself. Life is about everybody else. The business of life is others. So what you're trying to do is every day lower yourself down to who you really are and then elevate them. And you know what they're going to think? That guy's so humble. And you know what they're going to want to do now? They're going to want to, you've asked them for their opinion. They're going to want to, they're going to want to ask you for yours. We give grace to the humble. Everybody gives grace to the humble. So this is a part of having, having a life of influence and a life of significance and a life of success for Christ's sake. Now we're going to look at the, to, at the to-do list, relationships. What do we actually do in relationships? First of all, we're going to say, love one another with brotherly affection. Honestly, our first priority is to, to who? It's to our nuclear family. We want to be, we, we, we want to be, un, we want to unconditionally love the people in our family. We want to sacrificially love the people in our family. We want to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to take care of the people that we love, don't we? What God wants to remind us of is you've been adopted into a much bigger family, a lot bigger family, and you need to ask yourself, how many people are in your family? I want to ask you, how many people are in your family? How many people do you look at and think, I'm there for them, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to help them? Is it people in this room? Because this is your church family. My church family's bailed me out of a lot of things in my lifetime. Is, this part, is there somebody in this room that thinks, you know, I know of, I can count on, on so-and-so because I, I feel like I'm part of their family. How about somebody at work? How about somebody at school? Are, there, are your friends, your kids' friends, do they come in your house? Do they get in your refrigerator? Do they kick around your house like they live there? I had a, more than a dozen kids when my kids were growing up. They just lived in my house like they were my own kids. They acted like they were part of my family because I treated them like they were part of my family. 
At Progressive Foam, we talk about the Progressive Foam family. Everyone there is somebody, we're going to be looking at them like they're in our own family. Show brotherly affection. It's a powerful tool, and it's significant. Consider adopting more people into your family. I think you ought to consider that. Why? Because we have no relationship in life is more intimate than the relationship we have with those that are in our family. There is no more intimate relationship than that. If you want to have impact in a life, you want to have significance in a person's life, you want to, to do the things God wants you to do, you've got to put them in your family. It's going to make a big difference. This next one is outdo one another in showing love. We just got to honor people. Now remember, we just said I'm not going to be prideful, so I'm going to tell you everything I've done wrong, and I'm going to be out there every day, and I'm just going to keep that on the table. Every time I make a mistake, it's going to be, I thought this was right, I was wrong. We got to switch courses because I messed up again. But when we're showing honor, it's the opposite. The opposite is find the beauty in the people in your life and constantly put it under the microscope and constantly show people the beauty in the other people. You're going you, you're gonna, to, you know, remember, God sees everybody the same way. God sees the CEO and the janitor the exact same way. He didn't see them any different. So we have to say, God, help me, first of all, help me to see myself the way you see me. But help me to see others the way you see them and help me to see the beauty in them. And when, when, when you are openly acknowledging the things that other people do well, when you're openly acknowledging every time they do something right, you're, you're, you're celebrating everything they do right, you never talk about yourself. This isn't about you. Get over yourself. This is about other people. You're constantly rewarding them. You're asking for their help. You're asking for their knowledge. You're asking for their wisdom. You're asking for them. You're honoring them above yourself at all times. There's a natural result to that, guys. They want to honor you. It's not why you do it, but it will happen. And because you're asking them what they think, and you're recognizing their gifts and their abilities, you know what they would want to do? Now they want to recognize your gifts and your abilities. It's a virtuous cycle. You give it to them, they give it to you. You give it to them, they give it to you. You give it to them, give it. this is a virtuous cycle. This is the way God's economy works. And so forget about you. They'll take care of you. You need to worry about them and acknowledge everything they do right. And afterwards, they're also going to want to know what do you think. They're going to want to know when time's good, tough. What do you think? What do you know? They're going to apply God's word that's pouring out of your life. They're going to apply it to their life. Generosity. Contribute to the needs of the saints. In a world full of chaos, bad stuff happens to good people. Bad stuff happens to bad people. When it does, God expects us to minister to the people in our circle of responsibility when that crisis comes and he expects us to, to minister to them with our love, with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. This is very practical and very real. First of all, we ought to be rich in love. The love of God, let love be genuine. The love of God lives within us. It's a gift. It's the most powerful gift. We should be rich in love. Cost nothing to be just love somebody. We ought to be generous with our time. In, in a time-starved world, when you give time to somebody, they know that you've given something to them. Give them your time when they're in trouble, just to talk, just to listen. How about your talent? Can you mow their, their grass? Can you help with their house? Can you fix some food? And what about your, your, your treasure? Sooner or later, some people just need money. They need help. Their kid is in, in the Cleveland Clinic, and they're driving back and forth every day to the Cleveland Clinic. Could you buy them a $25 gas card, for goodness sake, and give it to them? You don't have to give them $500 million dollars could you give them a $25 gas card? Because if you gave them $500 or a $25 gas card, it almost feels the same to them because, wow, that was so unexpected. Thank you for being so generous with me. We have to make up our mind, people, that God's people have been blessed 
with every spiritual blessing in high places in Christ Jesus. God didn't give it to us so we could just enjoy it. We do get to enjoy it, but he's given it to us so we can give it out to the world. And when we give it out to the world, he's going to give it back to us again so we can give it away again. So generosity is God's people should be the most generous people on the earth. There should be nobody more generous than God's people. Uh, So look for tangible ways. Why? Because it will open the hearts of people in ways unlike anything else you can do. When they're in trouble, they're scared. They don't know what to do. And you're there. And you can say, you know, I was in your same boat just three years ago. I had to be patient in tribulation. I had to be constant in prayer. You get to share what happened to you. Hospitality. And, to, and seek, to sh- seek to show hospitality. Be hospitable. Opening your home to people, is, it opens a new level of intimacy. Now, we can sit here and talk to each other. We can go to the commons. Uh, and we can have a relationship that's about an inch deep and a mile wide. If we went out to dinner at 91, we might have an in- a relationship that's an inch and a half deep and a mile wide. When you invite people to your house, it is a completely different ballgame. They are now in your domain. And now an intimacy, what we want is we want relationships that are a mile deep, not an inch deep. Uh, and, you know, in a biblical context, they were opening their home for people to live there. I mean, people were displaced by war, by famine, by every kind of thing. People just lived with them. Travelers, didn't, there were no hotels, so you just had people stay with you. That's the biblical context of this. That may be what you need. There are times that people may just need a place to live with you. For the most part, it's just invi- in today's context, it's just invite people to come over. Be intentional. Guys, awesome house, not required. You know, when we were, we were in our 20s, we had good friends I thought of in this passage, the, the Holtz, they would invite us over to their house and they would say this, listen, we'll buy the two liter, you bring the popcorn, we'll bring your kids over and we'll have time together at our house. Because between the two of us, we couldn't afford more than a two liter and, and some popcorn. Later, we started doing better. We could have a half gallon of ice cream, a two liter and popcorn. And it was awesome. We thought like we died and gone to heaven. But there was an intimacy that was building between our families and between us as individuals that we lived on for many years. Ask God for people to reveal people to you that have needs, that you can be hospitable to. Be intentional. Get on your calendar. Leave church today. Talk to your significant other and say, who are we going to invite over and when are we going to have them to our house? You'll have more friends than you ever imagined. And uh, you'll have relationships that are not anything like you've ever thought you'd have. The next one is rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And this is put the feelings of others ahead of yourself. You should be genuinely happy when other people do well. If somebody gets a job and they have a better job than you and they make more money and they're rejoicing, you should rejoice with them and not be jealous. Weeping with those that weep, sometimes that's all we can do. In my early walk with the Lord, I, we had good friends, Bobby and Charlotte Eddington. They had, we were all in our early to mid-20s. And uh, they had three kids, and she was pregnant with their fourth. Bobby was a machine repairman for a company in Detroit. Uh, He goes to work one day, doesn't come home. Charlotte calls to the plant. Uh, They check his time card. He's still in the building someplace. They don't know where he's at. They find him in the bottom of a pit. He was repairing a motor, was overcome with fumes, and he died in the bottom of that pit sometime during that day. She's got three kids. She's pregnant with the fourth. Her husband's dead, gone. They call the pastor. The pastor calls me says, you're going with me. We're going to identify the body and we're going to meet with Charlotte and Charlotte's parents and Bobby's parents. I'm sweating bullets. Like, holy cow. What are we going to say? We're driving to Detroit and I'm asking the pastor, what are we going to say? There's got to be something magic. The pastor has something magic to say, right? Here's his magic. He says, we're not going to say anything. We're going to go there and we're going to hug them 
and we're going to cry with them, and we're going to hold their hand, and we're going to be with them, uh, and then we're going we're to do that again, and then every day from here forward, we're going to be there for them. Day after day, week after week, month after month, until Charlotte gets back on her feet, that's what we're going to do because that's who we are. He says, there will be a day when things will have calmed down enough that we can share some encouragement from the Word of God. That isn't today. That isn't today. Today, we're just going to weep with those that weep. That's an intimacy that we have with people. The last one in this list is live, live, with, live in harmony with one another. And you know this. Negativity and conflict comes to us for free. We do not have to pay for negativity and conflict. It comes to us every day for nothing. Peace and harmony is something we have to pursue. Scripture says that we should seek peace and pursue it. If you want to live in peace and harmony, you have to pursue it. It's not coming to you for free. And we cannot be in continual conflict over our rights. Because, you know, when somebody does something that we don't like and they're sort of getting after us, you know why we can, we're in conflict with them? We don't like them getting over on us. They're not going to get over on me. I'm not going to let them get over on me. And now we're in a conflict defending our own rights. We do this to ourselves because we're selfish and we don't have faith in God and we don't trust God enough. The solution is you just have to seek peace and pursue it and make up your mind that you're going to live a life of genuine love and not a life of conflict. I just got done building a house. Robin and I spent about 11 months building a house from scratch. I told the builder in the beginning, I said, typically what happens in something like this is by the end, we're going to hate each other. People hate their builders a lot by the time it's over because there's so much stuff going on, pulls and tugs. I said, when this is over, we're going to be friends. And what I didn't say, and I'm going to be in a position that I have influence in your life because God wants me to have influence in that builder's life forever, forever. The fact that he scratched something, God doesn't even care about that. Why do I care about it if God doesn't care about it? If he can't make it right, we move on. We, we get something going. We got to decide in advance that we're going to live according to God's plan. The last thing we're going to do is look at, which is briefly, which is similar to it, is how genuine love is lived out with our enemies. Look at this. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never revenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty... Give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Remember when we said that we should cling to that which is good and abhor what is evil? We should live blameless in this world? This is part of being blameless. It's living blameless. It says here that we, that we should always, it says here, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Our decision every time is to take the high road. Take the high road. Do not get in the mud and duke it out with people. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a vicious cycle. It is not a virtuous cycle. You hit me once, so I'm going to hit you twice. Now you're going to hit me three times, so I'm going to hit you four times. Where does that end? Where does that ever end? Where does that, where does that ever ended in a way that was good? It never ends in a place that's good. It's a vicious cycle. We should be looking for virtuous cycles where things get better and better and better and better. That's God's economy. The virtuous cycle here is destroy your enemy by making him your friend. That's how you destroy your enemy, by making him your friend. You, you feed him when he's hungry, you give him something to drink when he's thirsty, and you bless your enemy, and you just make it hard for him to be your enemy. You pray, have, you know, I don't know about you, but there are people that do really make me mad, and I really want to go punch him four times. 
And the way I avoid punching them four times is I start praying for them. I find it hard to stay mad at people that I'm praying for because I'm coming before God and God knows my heart. And he can read my mind and he knows what I'm gonna do and I'm praying that God will bless the person that I'm mad at. It's sort of hard to be disingenuous when you're talking to God who knows what you're thinking and he knows what you're gonna do. So we're looking for that virtuous cycle. The action item here is this. Be determined to live a life without the weight vengeance and without the weight of, uh, and the complications of bitterness. Hebrews 12 says this, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you and run with patience the race that is set before you. God knew that we were going to be running a race. We can call it a rat race. God knew we were going to be running a race and it is a rat race. He said, you can't run a race with a big backpack full of bricks on your back. Lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset you and run with patience the race that is set before you. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And this is what this passage says in essence. You just need to trust God. God's going to say, do you trust me? Somebody cheated me. They stole from me. What am I supposed to do? I'm going to get vengeance. No, you're not. You're going to move on. You're going to move on. Take that weight out of your backpack and you move on. You leave this up to me. Do you trust me? God's going to ask you over and over again, do you trust me? And if you trust me, I'll take care of it. Can we trust God to decide what the right judgment is, what the right punishment is? We have to. We need to run the race. We need to pack light, pack really light in life and move forward. So in conclusion, we started this thing by letting love, uh, genuine love, be the overarching thing of what we're doing. He's going to wrap this up with a conclusion that concludes the whole thing, and this is this. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. God has called us, he knows we're in a chaotic world. He's, he's called us out of a chaotic world, and he's called us to be overcomers. He said, don't be conformed to this world. If you're conformed to this world, you're going to be overcome by evil. He said, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we can be overcomers. We can overcome this world through the power of God and be transformed to do what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God in doing so. Look at the character qualities that are on the paper that you've been copiously taking notes on. Look at the character qualities. Look at the actions that people would take in this case. Are they common? Are they natural? They taint natural. They're uncommon. This God wants us to be people of influence. He wants us to live well on this earth. He wants us to overcome evil with good. He wants us to live well. He wants us to be successful in this life. He wants us to have a life of influence. He wants us to have a life of significance for the sake of the kingdom. And the way to do it is to live according to this way. And so this genuine love, the genuine love that we see in this passage, it's not hard to understand. Super easy to understand. It's just hard to do. Honestly, it's hard to do because we live in a world of a continual whirlwind of chaos and negativity and bad mojos coming at us all the time. We have only one hope, and that is to look to Jesus, the author and our finisher of our faith, as we move through this thing. None of us can do everything on that list, but everybody can do something on that list. So I'm going to ask you to be intentional right now. As we're praying, I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to, ask you to write down something that you see that I'm going to be intentional I'm not going to hope to be a better person when I leave church today. Hope is not a plan. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take steps. I'm going to be intentional to do something different going out of here today. So let's pray, and let me ask you to, to make a commitment to the Lord today. Lord, we yield ourselves before you. For those of us who don't know Christ as our Savior, Lord, I, I, for those, I, I pray that they would know, they would have heard in this message what it's like to walk in newness of life, to have a new life in Christ, to have the power and the gifts given to us by God and have the commission and the call to be a part of a body. Lord, I pray that you would draw every person that doesn't know Christ to you today. For those of us who are committed believers who are trying to walk with you, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and instructed from your word. I pray that you would, you would convict each and every one of us to do something different, to do something better, to walk in a way that we can live in a life that is the life that, that love is genuine, that our love is, is action-oriented, and that we take action on the love that you put in us so that we can overcome evil with good. God's plan is a virtuous plan, and we thank you for it. You will overcome evil with good, and you'll make a difference in this world. Lord, we thank you for your love, and we just pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.